and I've been to the year 2000. Not much has changed, but Tess' career is underwater. And Vincent Mann's daughter, she's all right. Oh, welcome to the Rogue Retros Match interview. I'm Phil McLeod, who spent too long on a busted-related joke for the year 2000, and I'm not sure it really paid off as much as I wanted it to. But I, trundle, I trundle forward as we're finally here into the year 2000. We left 1999 in our rear view, and we trundle onto the first smackdown of the new millennium. And I am joined by a brand new special guest for these next two episodes. Joining me, he puts the dits in Project Dits. It is dits, if you hadn't left that out. Nice. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how's it going, mate? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I like collabs. And I don't do them that often, so it's nice to actually leave the comfort of my own show and venture out, mm-hmm. especially for something like this. Yeah, because like you messaged me like uh, like while you were I assume while you were watching and talking about how much fun you were kind of having like watching back from this thing, which is always what I like to hear about when I have like people on from outside rogue opinions on this, because I like the idea of bringing people in from other podcasts. Some people I know, some people I'm I'm talking to for the first time. And like I, sometimes episodes will be better than others, but I like it when people like enjoy getting to look back on the, at this thing when a lot of people say wrestling was at its peak. Yeah, I, oh, I had a whale of a time. I'm actually—I mean, I said it to you in the in the chat. I'm actually going to go and binge from <laughs> from this point onwards the rest of SmackDown. I, but I think I, you have to include Raw in there because I completely forgot that it's all part of that continuity because there was a couple of times where there was referencing something on Raw in the second episode of SmackDown, which I'm, you know, we're going to get into. Um, and I was just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Early on in the SmackDown review, I took on the role of, uh, of watching the Raws as well, which uh, in the weeks where there's a pay-per-view, that can be a lot of work. And uh, there are some weeks where I pray for the, for us to get to the era of the brand split where I don't have to watch Raw and it's, it's <laughs> one like, separate thing. And SmackDown superior as well. So it's win-win. Yeah, obviously. Uh, before we get into it, I like somebody to get to know, uh, me and the listeners to get to know the people I've got on. Uh, so I was like, if people are familiar, let us know a bit more about you and like tons of wrestling. When would you have been watching wrestling, especially in relation to like the period that we're we're talking about at the start of 2000? Uh, so I started watching wrestling about 1998, I think it was, but I was only seven, so... Like my memories and stuff like that are very cloudy, but I, I was definitely there. I was definitely watching it. I think the the entry point for memories was probably Armageddon two thousand. Was it Armageddon two thousand? The um, Armageddon Hell in a Cell or was that two thousand one? Yeah, yeah two thousand. Uh, they they didn't have an Armageddon in two thousand one. I think that's when they had the Vengeance pay per view. Ah, yeah. Um, so Armageddon 2000 is the first pay-per-view I remember actually watching and absorbing for the first time. So it's been I've, been, I've been into this for a very long time. I had like a brief hiatus from WWE just simply because um, it moved from Sky, because I had SmackDown on Sky 1, Raw was on Sky Sports, and then everything went to Sky Sports. I was like, I yeah, I can't watch this anymore. And I was trying, I tried <laughs> to keep up with it on WWE.com, but reading about it, and watching it are two completely different things. So it completely switched off. And I think it was two, I think I don't think it was until five years later, 2012, where I got back into it. I think it was just as the shield were coming into it is when I came back into it. So that's actually not a bad entry point to get back into it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I do remember, I definitely remember like the idea of being on Sky back in the day. Cause I remember 
I was fine with my week list and just watching SmackDown Sky and then I wouldn't really watch Raw it was then they, after SmackDown they'd have like bottom line with Todd Grisham oh yeah <laughs> he'd basically tell you here's the main points you need to know on Raw but like during SmackDown they'd have the Raw recap or something like that or rebound where they'd show you the main event angle so basically you basically basically recap the main story you needed to know on Raw easy nice nice, see, nice to digest the lesser show of the two and then you can have all the depth of Smackdown then it's good <laughs> yeah, and also uh by the way, we were a little kind of open this collaboration is uh, our, our very own Nathan Greenway has been doing some stuff with you guys, uh, not to do with wrestling, but more uh, more football-based stuff. Oh, I am very, very glad I poached Nathan. Um, <laughs> like he's, he's doing a really good job, to be fair. In fact, actually, his last episode, uh, I think it was the fourth episode in the show so far, like beat everything on project is and i and my wrestling show has been going for about a year and a half and i was just like i'm happy for you but at the same time like go away <laughs> you can't you cannot beat the flagship but he did um but no he, he's killing it to be fair and i'm yeah i'm glad to have it and he you know he mentioned himself you know it'd be good to get some um like cross promotion between uh, rogue opinions and project it so i guess this is the catalyst for that definitely i'm, I'm happy to keep it going and I think we should just dive into the the episode itself. I will briefly talk about uh, Raw. The main thing to talk about is uh, this week's Raw, the January 3rd episode of Raw 2000. The Rock opened the show. One big thing I had to make sure I noted down was it happened on SmackDown as well, but they're plugging uh, The Rock Says, The Rock's autobiography, and by <laughs> quotation marks, the book that's half written in character, half not, and was even written by The Rock. It was written by a ghostwriter, who The Rock told about his life and the guy who I think admitted in interviews he knew nothing about wrestling. And I, I've listened to podcasts where people recap the book and it sounds like one of the worst books ever and I'm glad I've not read it. <laughs> yeah, it's not really cropped up on my uh, must-have reads, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you've said that because now I know I can avoid it. Yeah, it's a far cry from uh, Mick Foley's first book, Having a Stay, which I only oh, was brilliant. Uh, I only just finished reading it uh, last month, and I loved it. And they were hyping it a lot uh, towards the end of '99. And the big thing with Mick Foley was a lot of wrestlers were having books written by ghostwriters, and he didn't. He got back a sample of what his ghostwriter written for him, so he decided to write it himself. And then, although when his book did well, it opened the door for these ghostwritten books, which were not the same quality. I think The Rock has his book. I'm pretty sure China has a book called If You Only Knew or something like that, which is also not very good, apparently. And then uh, Matt Hardy openly admits that the book that came out about him and Jeff earned this time as well wasn't very good. I think it's called Exist to Inspire. And they even pointed out, like, we hadn't done anything at that time to warrant having an autobiography just because we were popular at the time. Not a good excuse, really, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Just give it to everybody. Give it to Gilberg. <laughs> Fuck it. Gilberg's autobiography. I'd, I'd be. I'd have a morbid curiosity to find out what would be included <laughs> in the Gilberg autobiography. To be honest with you. Make it happen. We we could <laughs> ghostwrite it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, and then I won the light heavyweight title, and then I didn't have it anymore. In the end. Ah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, The Rock comes out, he opens the first Raw of uh, 
2000, I believe, uh, it's taking place in Miami, where The Rock is from. And The Rock says his New Year's resolution is to be the WWF champion. And he also calls out Triple H and Stephanie because he was forced to be in a pink slip on a pole match on the final <laughs> Raw of 99, which cost Mick Foley his job. And uh, The Rock ends up getting put in a handicap, you're fired match against Xbox, Road Dog, and Billy Gunn, where The Rock also will lose if he he'll get fired if he loses. Uh, and also on the same row is where Triple H would regain the WF Championship from the big show. I mean, they say he did it by himself with no DX interference. Xbox did walk halfway down the ramp, which distracted the ref, allowing Triple H to hit a low blow followed by the pedigree. So it wasn't entirely a clean win. And the weird thing about this win for Triple H is they like they put that on in the middle of the show, but still have like the big obnoxious celebration with like black and green balloons raining down. So for like the next couple of matches, you can see confetti and all that all around ringside that they're still trying to clean up. I'm glad you said that because I was I remember watching the start of SmackDown and going, I have no idea what's happening. But there you go, that 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 spells it out for me. Yeah, they also uh, the Rock did win the as your fire match. It was like ninety percent DX on offense, but Mick Foley did come out to the crowd to help him. Uh, I, I remember Triple H did have a match with Big Show on the last Raw '99. I couldn't remember was was at the end of '99 or the start of 2000. He wins the belt back because like ever since Armageddon, when he and Stephanie finally got together, it's basically a case of like, okay, when is uh, when is he getting the belt back from Big Show? Because as somebody who has watched every single week of Big Show's first ever WWE title reign, I can quite honestly say I've never been more happy to see Triple H as world champion again. <laughs> and that's a, that is a that is a statement to make. <laughs> I mean, Big Show. His match at Armageddon against the Bosman for the title was like three minutes long and still got boring chance. That's oh that's wow, accomplishment in itself. So yeah, like I, I I want to feel bad for you, Big Show, for having your title run, like being the first champion of the New Millennium, but then losing it three days into the New Millennium. But I really don't feel bad for you at all. <laughs> to be fair, from what I've seen so far of 2000 WWF. Having Triple H at the top seems to be a good idea. I'm enjoying it, so take yeah, it away from that. Uh, and also, we'll we'll experience this uh, this person through SmackDown here, but we got to see a, a fake mankind on Raw through a th- series of segments called "Have a Bad Day," where <laughs> Matt, this fake mankind, do you did you know who was playing this a uh, McFoley imposter? I had this in my notes for episode two, and I thought, who is this mankind imposter? Ask. So I'm going to assume that you know, and you're going to about to drop a bombshell on me, because I recognize the face, but I just don't know who it is. It is weirdly unrecognizable, but mainly the mask doesn't help. Uh, it's Dennis Knight, also known as Midian, and uh, Phineas Godwin of the Godwins, and also soon to be naked Midian. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so it's a weird, weird role for him to find himself in between Midian and Naked Midian, but I'll take this <laughs> over Naked Midian any day. 100%. <laughs> yeah, so they had three skits. One of uh, of Mankind uh, going to the unemployment office with Triple H, with bizarrely a, a pair of sunglasses which featured a fake moustache and a fake nose attached to it. So the idea of Triple H having a fake nose just... Made me laugh for some reason. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, he compared to the Triple H was playing the role of uh, Harry Sack or something like that, and he basically told mankind that he's sick, he's, he's stuck, and there's no employment out there for him. Uh, the worst of the segments was the second one where mankind goes to a children's hospital to try and entertain the children, oh and uh, Triple H does a very racist and Chinese, I assume, impression playing Dr. Hung Wo. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, and then the final one is uh, Mankind bringing out a second book, but because he's no longer part of the WWE, nobody comes to his book signing. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, entertainment. <laughs> and uh, those are the main storylines coming into this episode of SmackDown. Any other like minor uh, points I will mention as we go along as it pertains to the people involved, but. Yeah, we open SmackDown, which is quite often as we open SmackDown with a weird kind of cold open where uh, they're celebrating the fact uh, DX and Stephanie are celebrating the fact that somebody has the title. But Stephanie is very disappointed in DX. They're like, there's three of you guys and you still couldn't beat The Rock even before Mick Foley came out of the crowd. And she basically punishes the DX by putting them all in matches. They give Xbox a match against Big Show. Uh, Billy Gunn is going to face the Acolytes in a handicap match. Uh, they don't know who Road Dogg's opponent at the time is, but uh, Triple H will face uh, someone, the winner of a random lottery, and they will be his first challenger for the WF title. So what are your thoughts on kind of this opening segment, regard, given the fact that you didn't really know what happened on Raw? So I, I didn't realise that it was even um, Triple H and Steph running the show. Cause I was I was half expecting to see Vince more or less straight away, and then to come in with DX, and then Triple H was making all these matches. I was like, I've not, I had no idea that this was a thing. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the fact that we had a cold open, and it pretty much just laid out the entire show, so I knew what to expect going into it. So I was like, oh, that set things up pretty well. Um, and it's just nice seeing DX because yeah. every every iteration of DX that I've seen past this point and from a period where I was actively watching wrestling has been uh Triple H and Shawn Michaels way past their peak of DXdom and then every NAF reunion they've had since so it was nice to see D- I wouldn't say this is DX in their peak but it's still in that area so I was I was happy to see it and yeah I thought it was a good way to start the show to be honest yeah I mean, if it's not a cold open, often it's uh, a trope we're used to well into the 2010s of Triple H in the ring for a 10, 15, sometimes 20-minute bloody promo segment. But I'll take this brief uh, cold open to explain what was going on later in the show uh, over that any day. And uh, then we get the classic SmackDown kind of intro. Oh, yes. The weeks go on is uh, Undertaker is the most prominent featured person in this entire promo package. He's not been on since episode five. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I did. I did wonder where he was. Yeah, he he walked out, right the SmackDown before Unforgiven. Uh, just in storyline purposes, was he didn't want to fight Triple H that night. Just wandered off, and in real reality, he had a lot of injuries, and we will see a, an entirely different Undertaker when he returns later in two thousand. And uh, as for your thing with Vince, Vince has been gone since the Raw after. Uh, Machine left the Raw after Armageddon because he couldn't bear to see like be in the same arena as Triple H after what happened with him and Stephanie. So Steph's oh. like, hmm, Shane's gone, Vince is gone. Well, I guess we run the show now because obviously she's a McMahon and Triple H is with her. So 
basically now Triple H has granted himself all this kind of power through his relationship with Stephanie. Ah, there you go. Full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, show opens our commentary team, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler, and our first match is The Big Show versus Xbox. And as it like probably should be, Xbox just gets thrown about by The Big <laughs> Show, who is, we're told, is obviously angry, given that he was kind of screwed out of the title uh, on Raw, thanks to a low blow from Triple H. And, well... I like seeing Xbox getting thrown around because he's, he's getting to the point at this time where Xbox is becoming a real thing and he's just becoming more and more insufferable as the weeks go on. So, you know, anytime I can see Xbox get beat up is a good night for me. <laughs> and is it, yeah, and it's not, uh, not going to be the last time we talk about that either, which is good. <laughs> yeah. But he take, he's very good at like being on the uh, receiving end of like, big man offense. He was getting he was getting some air on some of Big Show's throws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he is he he has always been for much of his career career like that guy who people are put in with to have good matches or to make other people look good. Like even as far back was when he was the one two three kid. Ah, yeah. And obviously, they need somebody for Big Show to take his frustration out on after like losing the title because even though he had a terribly booked title run, they think they still think we need Big Show to suddenly keep. We need to keep him strong, so let's have him throw Xbox around. And honestly, they get over his intensity by the fact that he shoves the referee out of the way when the referee's trying to get Big Show out of the corner. So the referee awards the match to to Xbox via DQ. So Big Show takes it out on the referee by choke slamming the ref. <laughs> As you do. As you do. And and these are the best period of Big Show choke slams where he actually holds you up in the air properly and then goes down with them. Rather than just a regular choke slam that you would go on to do. Yeah, I put that in my notes. I've said I put it was a it was a great choke slam, and it was nice to see him actually execute it with a bit of uh, panache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as matches go, it's definitely not much to write home about. All of these matches and on SmackDown, and usually as on the show, tend to go very kind of short. But yeah, you know, like it it, it accomplished what it kind of needed to. We've got to say China and Jericho are arguing they're going to be in a tag match coming up next. And Jericho just tells China, just stand there on the apron. I don't <laughs> want any tagging. And this falls on from last week, where it was on last week's match doing that there was a weird double pin spot in an Intercontinental Championship match between China and Chris Jericho. And on Raw, Stephanie McMahon made the decision that they are now co-Intercontinental champions for the first time ever. A storyline that I was not looking forward to and I've read Chris Jericho's second book, and he doesn't fondly remember the storyline either. <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was very confused about what was going on. I was like, why is why is Chris Jericho and China teaming with each other? And then it wasn't even, I think it was when Jericho made his entrance and the nameplate came out. It was like co-intercontinental champion. I was like, huh? What is that? What is happening here? And then obviously it was revealed that China is also intercontinental. I was like, oh, this is... I mean, this this is WWE at its finest. They would they would pull that stuff now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned to you before, like a lot of time on Raw and SmackDown, we're getting to the point where we get these long promos from Triple H and Stephanie. Well, we got one on Raw because the announcement of China and Jericho being co-intercontinental champions took was longer than it should have. We had three referees. Stephanie's asking each referee their opinion. She brings China out. China thinks he's getting given the title. Then they ring out Jericho and 
goes, you know, in this new era of McMahon Helmsley, we're doing things we've never done before. We're doing things fair. And I'm saying, like, pick up the pace, woman. <laughs> and then eventually announces that they're corner cross champions. And then randomly Hardcore Holly comes out because that could always improve a segment. And he challenged uh, either of them to a title match. Chaina accepts. And Chaina, with help from Jericho, kind of keeps shot in Holly behind the ref's back. Helps Chaina hold on to the belt because obviously if Chaina lost, then he wouldn't be Intercontinental Champion either. And Jericho kind of left with the belt on Ross. So that's why Jericho comes out with the Intercontinental Championship. And also, you'll have noticed Miss Kitty, the, or sorry, the cat, the women's champion, also accompanying Chaina to the ring. Yeah, I put that in my notes. I was <laughs> I put, why is China with a sex slave? I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I was like, who is this person? Why mini? Why should China got a mini me? I, I I I said that. I think the first night they were paired together, I thought that I said that exact thing. Like she's she's basically China's clone. Basically, <laughs> never knew that was a thing. Never mm-hmm. knew. Unfortunately, so but. Yeah, now we have uh, Jericho and China taking on the Holly Cousins crash in Hardcore. Uh, Jericho works with uh, Hardcore early on, and then Crash comes in. Crash gets the, the walls of Jericho locked in. And uh, China uh, is basically taking Jericho's words to heart, where basically she shows no interest in tagging Jericho. She even like, just turns her back to Jericho when uh, he offers his hand out. At that point, I wondered, why didn't you just get up and tag her, tag her in the back? That's, I'll constitute a tag. Because people tag themselves in matches all the time. And you, Yeah, fair one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know hey, these things seem obvious, you know, 20 years later. He, goes, he, goes, he gets tagged, sent to the outside. Shana kind of tries to help him up. He shoves her. So she then hits him with a clothesline, sends him back into the ring. And uh, she, she and Kitty grab the IC belt and leave Jericho behind. Uh, Jericho gets pinned by Hardcore Holly with uh, the Falcon Arrow. Nobody kicks out of the Falcon Arrow. <laughs> uh, and the Holly Cousins get the win. Big win. Huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This will set up kind of the least in, one of the least interesting matches at the Royal Rumble, which will be Hardcore versus China versus Jericho declaring like, an undisputed Intercontinental champion, obviously, Hardcore will get there now. He's pinned both. He's uh, pinned Jericho. I think he's going to pin China at some point between now and Rumble. So, you know, I can't wait for that matchup. But uh, what do you think of this kind of tag match as a whole? Um, I, I think, I mean, what, what I've noticed over these uh, two episodes that I've watched anyway, like the, the matches do everything they need to do in such a short space of time, which is really refreshing to see. And this was another one. So it, I guess it advanced the story, which is, you know, ultimately what you need. And it was okay. You know, it was, it was nice to see, uh, it was nice to see crash Holly, to be honest, because I've seen hardcore Holly a couple of times in the last few years. Cause I, I did another podcast, uh, which is, uh, no more. And we were going back through the ruthless aggression era SmackDown. So hardcore Holly was ever present in there, but I, I haven't seen crash, for, I, I don't know, a long, long time. So it was nice to actually see him. Um, and again, you, you forget a lot of the stuff that happened at this point because I, I forgot that Hardcore and Crash were a team. Mm, yeah, like that's pretty much all he's done since we started. We've seen him in this review, kind of just be Hardcore's kind of tag partner. He's really been a punching bag for a lot of people. Uh, I definitely think his best work is still to come 
uh, and later on in 2000. And uh, I can't wait for that because really, he, you can tell he can do a lot. You, from what we remember of Kaiser, you know he's capable of more than what he's doing now, which is basically hardcore all his kind of sidekick. Yeah. But we go to, I believe it's maybe earlier in the day or whatever, but fake mankind is wandering around <laughs> Universal Studios. Now they're in Orlando, Florida. They're in Miami. For all now, they're in Orlando for SmackDown. He's basically going up to this child and trying to like, offer the kid a photo or an autograph. And the child is basically scared of him. And his dad tries to, tries to get him away from the child. <laughs> so this, I, I think actually over the course of the show, these were my fa- my favourite bits. Because I, I genuinely thought it was actually Mankind, I think, for the first two skits. And then after I was like, oh, wait, that's not him. <laughs> but I, I loved it because I, I went to Universal Studios earlier this year as well. So I was like, ah, I remember these places. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was fun for what it was, and, and this was my first introduction to fake mankind. And I've got to admit, I was a fan. Mm. Yeah, I think they try and present it like Gerald Lawler uh, says that's the real mankind. Triple H and Stephanie act like it's the real mankind, <laughs> and like Michael Gold feels like, seems like one of those, like am I the only one who notices like this is not mankind? Come on, <laughs> uh, oh, this is a this is a weird storyline point here. Tori, uh, Kane's girlfriend, asked to use Stephanie in the bathroom because apparently all the other ones are, are occupied. And uh, this then leads to uh, a series of events that Road Dog comes in, he wants to talk to Triple H. Stephanie tells him, oh, well, I think he's in the bathroom. And uh, Road Dog doesn't knock, he walks right in, and then you hear Tori screaming off camera. And this will then lead to Kane later on demanding a match with the, uh, as he says, that pervert Road Dog. Uh, Later on, this is, this is basically a running trope here where ever since Tori was uh, forced to spend the holidays with Xbox because Kane lost the match, she, ever since she came back from this weekend with Xbox, basically any time a guy even looks at Tori the wrong way, uh, she goes mental and basically sets Kane on them, <laughs> uh, implying that something may have happened between her and Xbox that she's uh, having a... Uh, Bad time we kind of recovering from, or is he just crazy? As the commentators keep saying, like, man, what's Tori's problem? She's up, she's acting really erratic. Like, do you not think there may be something more to this, guys? <laughs> I, I I was just shocked that Tori was 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 Kane's girlfriend. I was like, what is going on with this? <laughs> Why does Kane have a girlfriend? Well, he got with her shortly around the time he Xbox kind of turned on him and broke up their tie team, so he was on the rebound. <laughs> and Tori is a natural replacement. <laughs> well, she's much better looking than Xbox. <laughs> wow, true. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got the Acolytes taking on Billy Gunn and a, a tag and a handicap match. Now, the Acolytes are the number one contenders for the tag team tails. They earned a title shot at Armageddon, but you wouldn't know it. Uh, last week because they spent more time on Raw and SmackDown fusion with the bloody Mean Street Posse than they have with uh, the New Age Outlaws. But on uh, Raw, they, uh, they kind of got beat down by the Dudleys and Mean Street Posse and they kind of showed DX backstage later on kind of being happy about the fact that the Acolytes got beat up so it feels like now properly they're actually uh, building to this tag match at the Rumble. But basically as soon as the match starts they just the Acolytes just pounced on on poor Billy Gunn. It was all right, <laughs> for, considering it was a. Uh, it, 
Uh, to, I don't, I, actually, the thing that I actually really liked about this is the fact that it was a tornado tag. Because now, if you see handicap matches, they're always um, tagging in on the apron. I hate that with, ta- uh, with handicap matches. Just just get them in there. Because like, that, that is a handicap match. That's what mm-hmm. it is. To, like, to me, that's how I see it. Um, but yeah, M- Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn, got his, well, yeah, got his ass kicked. But it was a valiant effort. Yeah, he got, very, he got some shots in there. It's very rare that uh, the heel having the two two on one disadvantage really actually works the way they want it to. But this did work because obviously they, this is what the accolades do best. And you want to see a member of DX get beat up. Like my favorite moment of this whole match is not even a spot. It's Farouk doing his attempt at the circuit. Oh yeah, <laughs> and his big deep run some damn voice. Uh, there's a point where Billy Gunn gets like turned inside out with a bloody clothesline. You know, this is just a this is just the like, idea of a good night, just getting to beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> uh, Road Dog does uh, cause the interference, but immediately gets fucking slammed by Farouk just with a big spine buster. He and Billy Gunn sorry get continue to get beat up by uh, the accolades, and then Road Dog when he gets backstage, he's all out of breath, and then it's at that point that he's informed by Triple H and Stephanie. Oh, by the way, we found your opponent. Uh, it's against Kane, and it's uh, right now. <laughs> Great news. And, like, Road Dog is already annoyed with that, but then the fact that Triple H is going to go along with it, he can, they're kind of all, it feels like they're trying to tease dissension amongst the rest of DX and Triple H because of what the decision Stephanie's making. And, like, this will kind of continue on to next week, but I remember when I first watched this, like, they tried to do a thing where they teased dissension DX, like Triple H and Stephanie like a week or so ago and then that turned out to be kind of a ruse even then even though you knew it was so the fact that they were doing this between Triple H and DX it wasn't having the effect on me they thought they probably wanted it to because like didn't we see this a few weeks ago <laughs> you know kind of going back back to kind of the same tropes just with like different people within the group yeah you can usually predict where these things are going to go mm-hmm so yeah, we have Kane versus Road Dog. Kane kind of meets Road Dog on the ramp as he's trying to he's he's Road Dog's stick, but he's both out of breath and also suddenly notices Kane's coming towards them. <laughs> and yeah, much like it's very similar to what happened with what happened with Xbox and uh, Big Show in a sense that Kane does kind of dominate Road Dog for a lot of it. Uh, he gets a closing off the top. The only real time that Road Dog gets all often is when Xbox comes out. And kind of, make, kind of makes a kind of a grabbing motion at at Tory. Kane then tries to chase him up the ramp, and Road Dog kind of comes up from behind with a low blow and a DDT on the ramp, which gives him a brief advantage over Kane. But as soon as he gets back in the ring, Kane Kane then beats him with a tombstone. I can't remember if it was this match or I'm, I'm mistaken for another one I watched where Kane basically destroyed someone at, at Tory's behest. But Tory has a satisfied look on her face, and I believe it's Daryl Oller says she looks like she needs a cigarette. <laughs> a classic Jerry Lawler one-liner. I mean, there's worse ones he could have made, and he has. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> would, would you kind of agree that this is very similar to kind of the Xbox uh, match from earlier on, and what it was basically trying to accomplish? Yeah, more or less. I mean, it, I guess it, yeah, it feeds into the the story side of things. You know, that they're. they're Triple H is giving them the tough love. Send him out against the big guys. Although, actually, Road Dog kind of brought this on himself. Kind of. 
You know, in fact, actually, yes, he did. Like, regardless of who was in that toilet, why would he bust in there anyway? Like, yeah. So he's kind of brought it on himself. Um, but yeah, he's kind of followed the same tropes. Um, but yeah, it, it again achieved exactly what it wanted to, and it was it was nice to see Kane um, looking jacked and very agile. <laughs> Because <laughs> he climbed for that clothesline that he did off the top rope, like he got up there pretty damn fast. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I hear people talk about how Jack's game is, but it is, it is very true. <laughs> yeah, I see. It's uh, the little, it's the little things I look out for, Scott. <laughs> and, and I'm happy for it. I mean, I'm he's my favorite wrestler, so I'll happily talk about how Jack is all day long. <laughs> Just there, like, ooh, look at those arms. <laughs> This is going to a dark place. <laughs> We're getting into rogue opinions after dark territory. We'll move swiftly on. <laughs> uh, the Rocks showing the uh, walking back and forth backstage. All the Rocks doing is kind of walking back and forth, but that still gets the biggest pop of the night. So it just shows how over the Rock is at this point. Stephanie asks Triple H, who's the Rock facing tonight? And uh, Triple H says Kurt Angle, which Stephanie's not happy about because Basically, a few weeks ago, Stephanie kind of implied that she thought Kurt Angle was cute. And Kurt Angle claims he's undefeated, but he has lost tag matches but uh, without him being the one to be pinned. So Triple H is kind of going out of his way trying to make sure that Kurt Angle loses <laughs> because in his mind, that'll mean Stephanie doesn't find him attractive anymore. Uh, they had a match, Angle versus Kane on Raw, and Steve Blackman has randomly been getting involved in Angle's matches. At first, it was at the behest of Stephanie, but then it just seems to be implied that he just keeps doing it uh, for whatever reason. And uh, on Roy was told, if you hit, hit Kane with that kendo stick, then you're fired. And so Steve Blackman comes out during the match and he hits Angle with the kendo stick. And so I think, like, well, he didn't hit Kane, but you could kind of see where he was going. <laughs> and maintains Kurt Angle's undefeated streak. Mm-hmm. Seemingly. Seemingly. Yeah. Uh, and then we get another fake Mankind skit where he's on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> which talk about not being afraid of anything when then the jo- the shark then pops up and he just loses his mind. <laughs> like, oh. and like, you look around the people, I was more interested in the people on the actual boat with them, the, these extras that are gone. Or I, I like to think these are actual people who just went out for a day at Universal Studios and then suddenly this camera crew and this guy dressed as Mankind showed up and just they're all looking around, and after he freaks out, they're all sitting there, like each looking like they're trying not to laugh too hard <laughs> at the way he oversells the shark coming out. That's what I told you. These are these are my favourite bits of the episode. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's entertaining. Uh, it makes, yeah, I think, kind of an in-ring perspective when you talk about how short some of these matches are. I think this is one of the better matches that we get on this show. It's The Rock versus Kurt Angle. Now, these two, obviously, over the next couple of years, will have much bigger, more high-profile singles matches against each other. But, you know, it's was, it was nice, interesting to see their first match was like, here on SmackDown because I didn't think they faced off for the first time this early on in Angle's kind of WF career because he only debuted at Survivor Series. Oh, so I didn't realise it was that... Um that short amount of time. Yeah. And like, he's really been in the ring with a lot of undercard guys, which is why he's been able to kind of keep his undefeated streak going. 
And so I think The Rock may be one of the most high-profile guys he's been in the ring with up until this point. And that's, again, why I was surprised, like, this early in English career, he's already got a one-on-one match with The Rock. Well, he did well. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I didn't really notice, because, um, yeah, you know, well, I don't, I don't think he lost a step um, in the match, and he kept up with him. But Angle was a natural. Mm-hmm. Like, even, even on the mic, because... I wrote this down here. I was just because The Rock and Angle, The Rock is my favorite wrestler of all time, and Kurt Angle is on my Mount Rushmore. So when this segment, because I wasn't aware that this was a thing, as soon as I saw that these two were paired together, I was like, "Oh my god, yes, I this this is it. I'm this is me. I'm done. I'm happy." <laughs> um, the promo stuff was good, uh, and I get you know we're going to get into the match in a minute, but. Yeah, it was a re- it was a good way to introduce like this Kurt Angle to me because I've seen like highlights and stuff of when he first came out and he was this obnoxious Olympian and all this kind of stuff. Um, but this is the first time I've actually seen him deliver a promo in this character um, as part of a show and not part of a highlight reel. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he could ha- he could hang. Obviously, The Rock is the go of of microphones, but Kurt Angle hung with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought to do like with, with Angle, like, a lot of people talk about how quickly he picked up kind of going from amateur wrestling to professional wrestling. And I remember when I first, watched his first couple of matches, he you could tell he was fairly new, but he had, seemed to have a handle on it. And just with by week two or three, even like he was just a nap. You could tell he was already a natural. So I've been watching his development so far on this review, and yeah, like it's hard to tell that he's only been like wrestling like regularly uh, mm. on TV for only a couple of months. And he comes out, he's trying to be the Olympic hero, the role model to everybody, but he, people keep booing him for it. <laughs> uh, he, he says, like, Why, like, I'm an Olympic hero. Wouldn't you rather cheer me and have me be your people's champion than this GQ wannabe or whatever he calls The Rock? <laughs> and The Rock basically does his usual trope of take, telling Angle to shine up his medals, turn them sideways and stick them up his, uh, his red, white and blue ass. And like I love that that old turn that sideways and stick up your ass thing by the rock is such a trope at this point already that even a few words in his promo, Lawler and Cole already know where he's going. And Law's like, Oh, don't say what you're gonna say, Rock. You no, know, this is Olympic hero you're talking to. Love it. <laughs> I, I I adore it. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the outside because every match at the same has to have a brawl on the outside at some point. Uh, Angle does suplex the rock you know, on the ramp. Uh, it is weird to see that a lot of this is actually dominated by Angle. You know, he's out wrestling the rock and overhead belly to belly suplexes. Uh, the rock does hit the Samoan drop. And then that cues Steve Blackman to come out and try and interfere. Uh, the rock does take the candlestick off him. He hits it. He hits Blackman with the candlestick and then makes the mistake of hitting Angle with the candlestick. So basically, handing Angle a, a DQ win. The run continues. Yes, the streak continues. Angle <laughs> celebrates his DQ win as if he's won another medal. So the Rock decides to come back and hit him with that. Hit him with the uh, the Rock bottom. You know, a decent match up until kind of the finish. And my main thing of this is uh, that DQ wins are becoming far too common at this time as I've been watching. And we're getting to the point where we're getting two, three an episode. And I'm starting to become numb to DQ finishes. Yeah, and there's a lot of interference as well. I think I, I'm just looking back through the notes, and I think there's actually well, apart, yeah, I think actually there has been 
In, oh, maybe not. Oh, no, the Hollies match, we didn't get interference, but I think everywhere else we did. And I don't, I don't think that's the end of it either. Yeah, I don't think there was a clear finish to like the Acolytes versus Mr. Ass because Rudo came in, but you wouldn't notice that be- because like the Outlaws just got their arses kicked by the Acolytes anyway. <laughs> Serves his purpose. Yeah. I think we get, a, we get a clear finish in this next match. It's a six-man tag of Edge, Christian, and Jeff Hardy. Uh, Matt Hardy is still in real, real life injured, but uh, he will be back by next week. And they're teaming up against the Dudley Boys and Al Snow. <laughs> and we get a quick shot of uh, the Dudleys backstage basically talking about, they basically promised a bonus by DX, but they don't like the fact that they have to team up with Al Snow to, to help get it. And Al Snow is kind of been trying to step up the card. Uh, he's, he's in the middle of some crazy heel run. And uh, like when Matt got injured, the DX basically tried to get him to take out Jeff Hardy so that we let one less tag team for the Outlaws to challenge. They even had on Raw this week a steel cage match between Al Snow and Jeff Hardy. Oh, like I, that, I saw a clip of that and Jeff getting out of that cage is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Yeah, basically there's a, a bit where they go kind of, they brawl out on the outside before getting into the cage and so for the entire cage match, it's not a long one but Al Snow brings Terry and locks her in there with him. So Terry Owens <laughs> is standing in the corner looking terrified during this entire match but Matt Hardy comes out to accompany Jeff and he's got uh, tape around his fingers because Matt tries to clean the cage at one point to get in and Al Snow hits the side of the cage with a chair catching Matt Hardy's fingers in the cage and yeah the, the finish that you talked about yeah the here Jeff got out is basically Al was kind of leaned, leaned over and Jeff kind of dove over him leaped onto the side of the cage and just crawled his way over and dropped to the outside and then quickly Matt had to dive and climb over and get into the cage because they realised Shit, we left Terry in there with a psycho. <laughs> Oops. Oops, yep. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, a pretty fast-paced match. You know, Al Snow keeps coming in, even though he's no legal, uh, and get involved with the Dudleys. He still looks like they don't want anything to play too with him. Uh, Jeff kind of gets dominated for a lot of it. You know, the ref keeps getting distracted, allowing, like, illegal man to come in. Like, the Dudleys are double team and Jeff Hardy. Jeff even gets hit by Bobby Dudley. It's a bloody Alabama slam on to Jeff before Hardcore Hollywood make that movie's own. But Edge gets the hot tag. Edge is running wild. Jeff Hardy flies over the top on A. Al Snow. Elon gets it with a spear. There's a reverse kind of DDT by Christian on Bubba. And Edge actually wins with what is referred to John Conte as the downward spiral, which is basically kind of a flatliner. Oh, I, I remember that from... Uh all the SmackDown games, because re- that used to be my finisher. That was my go-to. <laughs> I believe I believe Mr. Aniston or Mr. Kenny would use it as the, the mic check for a long time, but I just, they, keep, they seem to be so desperate like for this to get over. Uh, eventually, they'll just like use this, have this beer B finisher, but he, he uses this beer in this match, and that's kind of basically used as a transitional move. Like I know Edge doesn't have the, kind of the best-looking spear, but like it's much better than this this weird flatliner because like it doesn't look that impactful. It's just like Edge just grabs someone and just kind of just falls backwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I I always thought he kept using it, but obviously not. 
Well, then you would get kind of better moves like the uh, the Impaler DT, which you would take from kind of Gangrel, or called the uh, the Execution, I think it was called. But I'm kind of happy about this match in that well, the faces won, and it was a it was actually a clean finish. Uh, and Elsno does attack the Dudleys, I think, with head afterwards. <laughs> that head, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I complete, I've completely forgot Elsno carried that bloody thing around with him. <laughs> oh yeah, for a lot of like late '99, they kept bringing up the controversy of uh, Elsno's action figure getting taken off the because of that head. <laughs> that became a big storyline point. Like every time someone was in a match with Elsno, they kept bringing that up. <laughs> that we'd never forget. Uh, now we go back to yet another fake Mankind uh, segment. He's still in Universal Studios. It's quite late at night. I don't know what he's still doing there. But he, he's also going on the Woody Woodpecker ride, I think. But the, <laughs> yeah. the park employee says that uh, the ride's closed. So like he needs to go and the guy. He keeps trying to bribe the guy. So the guy gets on the thing like, we've got somebody here in a mask. He's trying to bribe an employee. And he runs away. And the guy reveals that he tried to bribe him with, like, a coin. Do you think he made a play on the fact that McFoley is notoriously cheap? <laughs> it's, it's just classic. <laughs> so simple. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know why it popped me so much. I, just really, I really enjoyed these segments. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, like, he's on the run. He's the man he's, he, man, he's on the run. He's got a mask and a coin. <laughs> uh, and it's not over. And it's not over. It's not over. No, we've got a couple more days to go. Uh, next up, we have uh, the man who I, I mentioned said that his career was uh, underwater. Uh, Test taking on the big boss man. Because, you know, Test only a couple months ago was scheduled to marry Stephanie McMahon. And now he's fighting the boss man. And on... Raw this past week, he was in a handicap match where it was Bossman and Albert taking on Test and his two tag team partners, which were revealed to be the fabulous Miller and Mae Young. Great. That's <laughs> you. I see you want to go into battle with you here. It was like kind of an awkward moment where I think Bossman was being held by Miller in the corner so Mae Young could do a Bronco Buster on him. Ah, oh, I forgot the Bronco Buster. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's one of the only spots I remember of that whole match. <laughs> boy, boy, I don't even want to even remember that. Yeah, erase, erase. Delete, delete. Tess <laughs> <laughs> uh, gets kind of tied up in the ropes. Bossman is very dominant during this match. Al- Prince Albert is a kind of tag partner, comes out. Uh, he keeps attacking Tess behind the rest back. Tess has got this big face mask on because his, his nose just keeps getting broken. Like, it's been broken, like, twice by DX. Uh, and obviously, Bossman goes after it. He tries to rip off these protective masks he wears. At one point, I know your nose is fucked, Tess, but just stop wearing the mask. At least or at least take a couple of weeks off until your thing's better. Leave <laughs> yourself open, son. Uh, he gets a boot to the face. Uh, there we go. Albert does try and interfere on the Bossman's behalf, but it ends up accidentally hitting the Bossman, I think, with a nightstick. And uh, Tess takes advantage and gets the win. So, possibly dissension in that fondly remembered Prince Albert Bossman tag team. Ugh, I mean, what the hell is Albert wearing, by the way? Mm-hmm. It, uh, it looks like he's come from, from a sex dungeon. 
<laughs> it was very disturbing. And obviously, he's a very hairy man. So putting mm. that attire on a hairy man is... I mean, I, I don't know what sh- makes me shudder more than May Young Bronco or that. Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really care about this match. I barely remembered the notes I, I wrote down for this Test Bossman match. Oh, I'm glad you filled me in because I don't remember it. <laughs> it's like Test. Like I said, like he's just treading water at this point in time. Uh, but never mind because. We've got another Mankind segment. Yes. He wants to go on one more ride before he goes. He finds a Back to the Future ride. He goes, maybe I'll go back to the day I won the WAF Championship. Or wait, no, maybe I'll go back in time to the last time my wife found me attractive. <laughs> ah, yeah. that's, the, uh, that's the penultimate one. We've got one one more left for later on. Uh, the Mean Street Posse are told that they are going to have a, a handicap match, kind of a reward for helping take out the Acolytes. So they get a three-on-two match against uh, Kai and Tai, Takemichi Noku and uh, Funaki, who I almost forgot were a thing until they, they appeared on this review two weeks ago. And I'm kind of happy to see them because, you know, these two are very underrated in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was so happy to actually see these guys come out because, um, I've, yeah, I've, like many things... Um, on these shows, I have not seen these guys for a very long time. Um, but yeah, I, I, lo- I love them. I love the music. I love the look. I loved, I loved mostly everything about them. So yeah, it was good to see them. The main thing I'll take away from this match is that, uh, well, for, other than the really impressive minsult by Takamichinoku on the outside uh, towards the start of the match, uh, the Bean Street Posse actually have signature and finishing moves so they actually hit on Kainzai, I think people would be surprised because obviously the possibly were always used as jobbers. And uh, like, what I love about this is how confused Cheryl all is whenever Michael Cole calls a finisher by its name. Like, you've got Rodney hits a backdrop on Ifunaki and he gets caught into a powerbomb by Joey Adler. So it's quite kind of impressive, especially for how kind of little experience a lot of the posse had. Uh, they call it the High Society. Great. And, uh, you go for the pen, but then Pete Gas says, no, tag me in, and he hits kind of the gas mask where kind of double under grabs the face into kind of the sit-out move. Uh, I, I love that name, by the way. I put that in my notes. I was like, gas mask is a great name for somebody called Pete Gas. I think I may have wrote in High Society twice. Actually, you know, the, the backdrop thing is actually called the Stock Exchange. The High Society is the move that Rodney goes for, but they kind of mess it up intentionally, I think, because he goes for a blockbuster, which he calls High Society, but really, it's a flying nothing is the best name for it because he just dies and just smacks his head into Pete Gas, <laughs> allowing uh, allowing Kitaka to get in. They hit a drop kick into a roll up, and Kainta get the shock win over the Main Street Posse. But again, as I said, the main shock here is like how shot uh, Gerald Lawler is when Michael Cole knows the names of moves. Because weirdly, it seems like with the exception of, kind of like Mauro Ronaldo, whose whole thing. I mean, like Nigel Mignes, they know the names of wrestling moves, but like on the main roster, whenever somebody like uh, Michael Cole or like Matt Stryker, whenever they like talk, talk, give a name, it's actual, like a movie's actual name, they're looked at by the other clients like, what the hell are you talking, what are you doing knowing names of wrestling moves, you nerd? <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like, who dare you know the names of wrestling moves on this wrestling show? <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad to see Kai and Tai get the win because, you know, they, they kind of got embarrassed by the music policy a few weeks ago who kept calling them Chinese when they're Japanese. And, you know, Jerry Lawler's commentary is not helping them. So, you know, I know a, rare, a win for them was hard to come by at this point. So, you know, any success they have... It's, it's good for me. Absolutely. Uh, this is, uh, we're going to have another Mankind segment, I think. But before that, one of actually my favorite segments of the night is the the lottery to determine who Triple H's opponent is going to be. Uh, you have everybody sat there, Triple H, they roll this kind of tumbler with little balls with names inside. Triple H draws a name, Andre the Giant. <laughs> but come on, who put this in there? And they put <laughs> another name. Like, you know, like if, it even says if Andre was still with us, I'd kick his ass anyway. Yeah, I, I put that I put that line in my notes. I like that pop for that. <laughs> like, I don't think it's been that long since Andre died. I'm pretty sure he died in like 92, 93. <laughs> this is like 2000. Uh, then he pulls out the fabulous Miller's name. And he says, no offense, Miller. I'm sure we'd have a match to the ages, but, you know, I'm looking for somebody a bit younger. <laughs> And everybody kind of groans, and Miller kind of looks like, like wait, what? <laughs> and then uh, he's like, let's get somebody more impartially to take the names. And they bring up Howard Finkel. Because he was just sitting off to the side in the corner. You think Finkel's going to get involved somehow. And Finkel accidentally knocks it <laughs> in the tumbler. It goes everywhere. And you hear Triple H go, God's sake, Howard, your balls are all over the floor. I say this is this is the WWE that I miss now. I know it's I know it's so stupid, but it's just the little things. You shouldn't be laughing, but it's just you can't help it. And so, like he goes, he scrambles around, he grabs a random ball, he opens up, and he reads it a name. And just excited, so happy, he looks when he turns around, and goes, "It's Rakishi," and everybody, people actually seem happy. Triple H looks furious, like wait, he actually read it a proper name. It seems like Triple H was trying to rig the, the lottery and then cut to Rikishi and, and actually some of the Rosser chant, Rikishi, Rikishi. Again, Rikishi is still fairly new to the company and fairly new to like, TV. Again, he's only been around a couple of months. But he's, he and Tuku are slowly, like the last few weeks, have really started to properly get over to be a member of them being. So this feels like a big deal for Rikishi to get a WWE title match. I didn't because I, I didn't realize he was so early on at this point. I mean, I know he's been around for a while, but I think the Rikishi character because I think I think he still had Fatu yeah. attached to his name at this point, didn't he? Yeah, he's still called Rikishi Fatu with a PH because you know he's fat. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't beat writing like that. How have they not won an Emmy at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, we must say goodbye to Fake Mankind for the evening because his final segment is up here. Actually, comes out of the Back to the Future, right? actually thinking that he's went back in time. He, he mentions uh, Foley's wife, Colette, by name, and then he runs into the real Mankind, who screams like, what the hell did you say about my family? And he beats the shit out of uh, this imposter. And, like, Gerald was like, wait, there's two of them. Like, no, that's the real Mankind King. I loved it. I, I, what did I put here? I thought Battle of the Mankinds was a joy. 
Yeah, I think this would be the peak uh, of uh, this Midian's time as fake mankind, so you know, enjoy these segments while you can. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he, he probably does beat the hell out of him, and honestly, I think at the time this would give a lot of fans that like Mick Foley still appearing on TV a lot, so this basically gives them hope that he will be, come back and get his revenge on Triple H and that. Uh, we go on to now our main event, Rikishi versus Triple H for the WF Championship. And I remember sitting here thinking, like, Jesus, Rikishi versus Triple H, that's not a matchup I would really think of. I don't think I don't really think that you guys face off a lot. And then I remembered that a month or so ago on uh, my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Ramblin' Podcast, we reviewed, we've been reviewing old In Your Houses. And oh, nice. We've been review- we reviewed In Your House 4, and the opening match is Fatu. Uh, Rikishi, he was uh, doing this whole make a difference gimmick, uh, taking on Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Realizing oh really yes, I actually have watched this match just as these guys as very different characters because like Rikishi is back then. It was, this was in like '95. He was still kind of not slim, but he was there was a different different difference in his weight there to how he is as Rikishi. <laughs> If it's if it's if it's the mold though, for Rikishi, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Like if it was any less, but well, for a start, the commentary couldn't actually keep commenting that he's over four hundred pounds for a start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and if anyone's interested, uh, Triple H won that match in your house because, of course, he did. Uh, Rikishi, Triple H does go straight after Rikishi as the bell rings because, like, you seen his face when. Uh, Rikishi's name was read out. He feels like, like I did not want to fight an actual guy for my title, let alone <laughs> something for four hundred pounds. So like, I need to like take this guy out. Uh, Rikishi does fight back. They go to the outside where he does. He hits a leg drop on the outside. Uh, Stephanie actually really adds a lot. I think to this match, given that she's on commentary and repeatedly is like you can see she's concerned. She's like, oh god, Hunter might actually lose the title just as we got it back. Yeah, I remember some of like seeing some of the facial expressions and stuff like that. Like even back then, Stephanie was very good at what she was put out there to do. Mm-hmm. So you you could kind of, you could see the seeds of what she would. Call, I guess it you could draw comparisons to the uh, the whole authority thing. Because um, I mean that that's that's peak Stephanie when you get to the authority. Obviously, she's had so many years with the company at that point. Um, yeah, but it was yeah, she yeah, I agree. She did that quite a bit to the match. I mean, she was a better commentator here than when she did commentary for the first women's rumble, where our only purpose for being there at the time was say, Hey, I created women's wrestling. Let me sit here. Oh, I remember that. I was like, here we go. It's gonna be a lot of just self flattery and oh. and it was. It was. I remember when Trish Stratus came out at number thirty for that rumble. I was happy not only to see Trish, but I was also happy because right up until the final entrant, I was convinced Stephanie's going Stephanie's music's gonna hit at some point. She's gonna get up from the quarantine table. I don't sell to the match. So at number three came and went, please don't be Stephanie, please don't. And then Trish Stratus music hits. I've never been so happy to see Trish Stratus in my life. I was genuinely shocked that Steph was actually wasn't in that. Because I, 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 I was plastering that all over Twitter. I was like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen as, as the numbers going out. I was like, it's coming. It's coming, and it, did, it didn't. I know. So we had to endure a uh, commentary for an hour. 
I think it was Rikisha gets slammed onto the uh, announcer's table. Uh, Rikisha does catch Strawbridge with someone drop for a close near fall. And what's we- what was weird at the time was uh, Triple H kicks out of the bonsai drop where he just does the sit down right on the chest. And it was weird because, again, Rikishi's been made to look like a big fucking... Rikishi's been made to look kind of dominant since he came in with moves like that. And Triple H just kicks out at the last second. For, for a second, I thought, like, oh, God, typical Triple H, oh, I need to look tough <laughs> and all that. But I, I quickly I quickly calmed myself down after that. Like, I think it was yeah, like drama and that. And plus, like, that's also the same move that Buddy Yokozuna used all the time and nearly killed people. Yeah, I would... I, I... Definitely wouldn't want to be under the uh, under the arse <laughs> of either of those guys. I've heard stories that Yokozuna would uh, be like gentle with like big, with like top guys when he was doing that move, but if like, it was a random enhancement talent just brought him for that week, he just wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, and then uh, he goes for the island driver, a move that he wouldn't use for that long. Obviously, once he started using moves like the stink face and all that, but. Triple H does quickly fight out of it because everybody knows like if he doesn't if he kicks out the bonsai drop he won't kick out the island driver so Triple H quickly like, like fights out of it he hits the pedigree he goes for the pedigree but he fights out of it uh, he gets a super kick again you think he's actually going to do it the fans are really hot for the match whenever Rikishi fights out of a, a move Triple H is doing or he kicks out the fans are really behind it because they want to see Rikishi actually win the title even though he's still fairly new uh, it definitely distracts the ref allowing Triple H to use a chair, but even then, that's, that only gets a two count. And then, yeah, again, like two or three other matches on this show, it ends in a DQ because Triple H uses the title belt in full view of the ref. No way. Mm-hmm. No yeah. way. <laughs> and, that's, and it's kind of a flat way to end such a what was a really good match up until that point. Yeah, it was, it was actually really fun because this and. Um... Well, funnily enough, the other good match on the card ended in DQ with the Rock and Angle. Ah, yeah, trends. Not good trends, but trends nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, I think they do try... I think you can kind of argue that they made Triple H kind of realise that he, or he knew that quickly that Rikishi was not going to be an easy guy to beat, so he kind of had to take the cheap way out. And then they still have, like, because you try and brawl with them afterwards, all these referees are trying to hold them back as Triple H escapes. And then he's in the ring with uh, Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Tohoti. And then they just do their, their two cool dance to close the show. And the entire building's, like, clapping along and then going mental when they start dancing. And I think it, even though he didn't win the title, and you knew he wouldn't win the title, uh, Rikishi is still massively over. And again, accomplishing what they needed to accomplish. And Triple H sold it well as he was going up the mm-hmm. ramp. Like, you, you could see the whole, uh, like, I, I was this close to losing yeah. that, this close. Um, I, I, it was a good way to end it, especially, you know, I, you've been doing this for a, a little bit of time now, but me going into this for the first time, looking at this SmackDown, it was a good way to end what was actually a pretty damn good show. I don't know, I don't know if I, I was looking at it through nostalgia goggles, and that's why I really, really liked it. But I don't know. I, I, I'd say it was a pretty good show. Yeah, I don't uh, think I'm biased in any yeah. way. I think looking at matches like this, uh, Triple H, I think he gets these criticisms for like the reign of terror in the mid-2000s and in a lot of ways, rightfully so. 
but at this period of time, he was willing to work with kind of just about anybody, and he he wouldn't mind actually giving people like hot spots and actually making people making you think that this person could actually beat him before then making you hate him even more by just escaping like the skin of his teeth. Like he's fought the likes of bloody Al Snow and like late '99 before Al Snow went full heel. And like he's happily worked with undercar guys. I think he'll do that once or twice more in 2000. So like Triple H gets a lot of credit. Doesn't get enough credit for like helping get guys get over and defeat. And like the things with Rikishi here, the way of being a big guy kind of put into a big uh, spot so early on. And even though he didn't win, he still looks great. I think there's some comparisons you could make between Rikishi here and kind of Keith Lee now on Raw. That's fair. I, think, uh, I, think. I, I don't know if I, I'm trying to remember the career path of Rikishi from the as the whole uh, I did it for the rock has that happened at this point and uh, no that would be towards the end of the year ah, so, so there you go like that's I mean obviously I don't think people look at it too oh yeah because yeah because of course the whole Armageddon uh, Hell in a Cell thing um, yeah I don't think people look at Rikishi's like main push um that favorably but it was coming and like you said like, the comparison to keith lee like it's gonna come it was a sl- like rikishi's is a slow burn over the course of the year and keith lee uh, you know you got people complaining now saying oh yeah you know he's being misused but just give it time mm-hmm. you know that's going to be a slow burner as well yeah. but two two big guys coming up agile as hell uh when you see rikishi sell a clothesline christ almighty oh. how does he do that you, and you a lot <laughs> there's like matches I've seen of him when he's like part of the head ring in like 93, 94 where he's doing that bump so he's been doing that consistently throughout all these different like gimmicks and yet he's, even when he's at his heaviest it still looks amazing the way he just flies through the air yeah. <laughs> impressive it was yeah and honestly like it's kind of the feel good kind of end it anyway because you got to see like two cool do like their dance at the end and like a lot in a way you care like well Rikishi's really the real winner because you know he didn't have to resort to kind of the underhanded tactics that Triple H had to do to kind of get out with his title and uh, I thought even though the finish yeah it was probably the better matches of the night probably the best match of the night and while I like this episode of Smackdown I do think the episode we're going to talk about uh, next week is, is my favourite of these two I I would agree actually yeah I'm with you there mm-hmm. I'm look I'm look yeah I'm looking forward to going through that not not to immediately like shit on this episode but like it's a case of like with this episode and with next week's one I'm already noticing an enormous difference in quality from this last from the last month or so where I had to talk about 1999 so again you can see why I was so desperate to get to 2000 <laughs> but, uh, before we go this, I'm going to ask you. Uh, two questions. One, uh, from a rating, between a rating of thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, or thumbs down, what would you give this episode of SmackDown? And uh, what one moment or match would you encourage somebody to actually go back and watch from this episode? So, thumbs up. I don't think that'll be um, a surprise to anybody. And if I had to recommend a segment, and you know, I, I would say the, the fake mankind stuff, but if, if you're going to bring somebody in who's never watched this stuff before, you kind of show them that, like, what the hell are you going on with here? But I'd, probably, I'd show them the main event because it's you know, it just shows that there's a, there's a main event player here. 
there's a there's an undercard guy here who's just kind of making his his way through and they can mesh they can put on a good match uh, you know despite the you know the screwy finish um you know it was a good way to end the show and i think that would be where my recommendation lies mm-hmm. uh, i think even though even though i prefer the other match there the other like smackdown i think i'm gonna give this a thumbs up mainly for like the main event I didn't. I forgot just how much I enjoyed this fake mankind stuff until we were talking about it again. <laughs> and uh, one or two of the other matches are actually really, really decent despite the the weird finish. So yeah, I'll give this a, a thumbs up. A good SmackDown kick off the new millennium. Uh, I think if I recommend a segment, I'll say the fake mankind stuff because like even when you watch them all, all the segments together, it's still like not that much that much of your time. Uh, one, if I was going to recommend a match, I'll give an all mention to the Rock versus Angle, but. Uh, it has to be the main event, obviously. Like, because like, especially if you're a fan of either Rikishi or Triple H, or just like, like seeing somebody be made to look like a star, and I think that's what they do with Rikishi here, even though he doesn't win the title. Yeah, um, yeah, hundred percent. Because you've you've seen it over the years so many times with people coming up. You know, Keith Lee is obviously the recent example. We made that comparison, but um, even guys like John Cena when he came in against Triple H, uh, not Triple H, yeah, Kurt Angle, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's always it's always exciting to watch it. Some new guy coming in, will he or won't he? <laughs> it's always good. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I thank you for joining for this first episode, obviously, the next episode. You hear, you hear the retrospective interview that goes up next week uh, will also be joining me. But uh, for people who know Brogan Pines but don't know uh, Project Dits, what uh, where can they find you on social media and what can you tell them about uh, the stuff you've got going on? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Project Dits and the same with Instagram. And then with Twitch and YouTube, literally just search Project Dits. And there I'll be. So all my wrestling content is scattered on every single podcasting directory, whether it be Apple, Spotify, whatever. Literally, Project Dits, it's all there. So it's got me, it's got a couple more wrestling podcasts. Nathan, as we mentioned at the start of the show, um, plus added time, his football pack podcast is on the feed as well. Um, I also do some Twitch streaming. I've started that recently in the last month and a half. Um, so really looking forward to seeing that grow a little bit more. Um, now that I've actually figured out how to do it, Jesus Christ, that was a learning curve. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just, I'm, I'm always around, always around somewhere. And I, I want to do, I want to do more collabs because I, I honestly don't do them enough. I think this is probably maybe my fifth or sixth in a year and a half, which is crazy because there's a lot of podcasts that I'm, I've been affiliated with over, over that period of time. And, you know, the amount of guests that I've had on my show, um, yeah, I, I just don't do that. I don't do collabs that often. Um, but you know, yeah, if, if anyone is listening who does have a podcast, consider this a, uh, come get me, plea. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McLean, 1986, uh, Scott and that I mentioned earlier on at, SB Rambling, uh, you can find Rogue Pines at Rogue underscore Pines uh, on all good Android podcasts and sites, uh, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. You can find our back catalogue where there's all, we've also got football podcasts hosted by Reese and Carl and Liam, uh, the Banter Munich podcast. Reese is uh, fight Room 501 and continues on. You can listen back in our archives to old episodes of this uh, Rogue Retro Review with all my other guests that I've had on in recent weeks. And, well, 
you can also if you're a fan of what was the other one? If you're a fan of quizzes, you can check out Eat Sleep Sleep Bites with Sheets YouTube channel, uh, where I'm going to be in a few weeks hosting Quiz Showdown 5. They're running wrestling quizzes over there. And also, uh, if you've seen, kept up with our social media, you'll know that here on Rogue Opinions, I'll be hosting a TV quiz tournament uh, where it'll be Team Rogue Opinions, led by Nathan, taking on Team FTTV, led by David Campbell. And the winner of that match will face. Uh, the winners of the other tournament match, which will be Team Suplex Retreat versus Team Big Picture. Uh, stay tuned to uh, at Rogue Underscore Pains on Twitter and Instagram and basically social media in general for any of those other podcasts to basically keep up with when this tournament is going to kick off. I'm in the middle of writing it right now and I'm looking forward to it and I think I've plugged my arse off already. So <laughs> I want to say thank you to this for joining me and thank you to everyone here for listening. <laughs>